going? We're going back to Jakku, that's where. No, 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 we can't go back to Jakku. Jakku? That junkyard? Thank you. I've got to get back to Jakku. They were headed back to Jakku. Back to Jakku! Why does everyone want to go back to Jakku? Star Wars fans and move milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 63 of Blast Points. And that's right, we're going back to Jakku this week. We couldn't stay away. <laughs> this is Jason. I mean, and this is Gabe. There was a little bit of news to talk about this week before we start to get into Empire's End, the uh, third and final book in the Aftermath trilogy. So there was a little bit of Last Jedi news. Good. Come on. Beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Last Jedi. What was it? Ryan Johnson sent John Boyega a framed piece of art based off uh, a line that gave John Boyega some problems during episode eight, it sounded like, right? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what they said. All, the only word we got, and it's the only word we need, biohexacrypt. What? Episode eight's going to have some good dialogue in it. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't sure that The Last Jedi was going to be good. Biohexacrypt, yep. That's all you need. When when someone says to you the word biohexacrypt, what do you think a biohexacrypt is? What comes to mind? Like a Star Wars Universe Rubik's Cube yeah. or something? Like all the kids had biohexacrypts. It also sounds like a um, like a key or something to unlock a computer or something. Use the biohexacrypt key. It could be a place. Oh. The biohexacrypt. Where, where are the leftovers? I put them in the biohexacrypt. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to go get them. I'm hungry. <laughs> I looked in the refrigerator and the ice cream wasn't there. No, no, no. You got to look in the biohexacrypt. That's the big one. Oh. Yeah, maybe it's the freezer on the Falcon. If we were worried it wasn't going to be Star Warsy enough. <laughs> <laughs> that Ryan Johnson wasn't feeling it when he was writing the script. Yeah. If he pulled out Biohexacrypt, he's, he was feeling it. Yeah. W- when can I get a Biohexacrypt t-shirt? That's what I want to know. Somebody probably got a Biohexacrypt tattoo on their chest. Well, oh, that reminds me. I, I saw a guy at the grocery store today. He had a random Star Wars tattoo. He basically had Luke's lightsaber and 3PO's head <laughs> on his arm. 
And that was it. A man of very particular taste. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else Star Wars, just Luke's lightsaber and 3PO's head. It's his two favorite things. Yeah, well, guess you're right. Was 3PO's head, was it like, was the eyeball coming out or anything? Or No, I don't think so, but 3PO's head was like about the same size as the lightsaber on his arm. Fascinating. So it, was, it was just the hilt, so it was like Luke's lightsaber. Well, I guess it could have been Obi-Wan's. I didn't get a good enough look. <laughs> you should just so, grabbed his arm and brought it right up to your face. Yeah. Can you tell me which which what this is? Next time you see him at the grocery store, tell him he needs to be a guest on the show. Yeah, just, but I don't, we don't want him to talk. We just want his arm. <laughs> Let's see what it thinks of uh, Biohexacrypt. <laughs> I hope Ryan Johnson's taking questions at Celebration. Yeah, but people will just ask him about the uh, Unaltered Trilogy on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of Celebration... What's up? There was the weekly Star Wars show announcement of Celebration News, and EA said they're going to be there with tons of video game stuff, which should be cool, right? Yeah. They announced uh, they announced the diorama builders are going to be back. Did you read that, Gabe? What they're what the diorama builders are going to be building this time? No, I didn't see that yet. What are, the, what are the, they doing? The Death Star Trench. Oh, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Hopefully, you can lay down in it and pass out. <laughs> And they announced a, a bunch more guests, Taylor, Ezra Gray, Ray Park, Peter Mayhew, Gold Leader, Angus McGinnis, um, BB-8 operator Brian Herring, the original Emperor Clive Ravel, Daniel Logan, uh, the new R2-D2, Jimmy V, he's going to be there. No surprise, uh, Pablo Hidalgo is going to be there, Keeper of the Holocron, Leland Chi. Meanwhile, in the UK, this Star Wars convention called Star Wars Fan Fun Day, which has the best name ever. Yeah. April 30th and May 1st, they announced a guest, this guy. Now, when I say his name, it's not going to ring any bells. But when I go through his resume, hold on. Patrick Comerford. He's one of the principal animatronic performers in the creature department. He's in charge of facial expressions, lip sync, tons of creature stuff with Neil Scanlon's group, right? Okay. He operated GA-97. He was the facial performer for Radis. He was the opening, the droid from the opening scene of Rogue One. And this guy, Patrick Comerford, who a friend requested on Facebook, and he has not replied. He was the facial reference for Borgullet. This is outrageous. It's outrageous. This is outrageous. I was so excited for Celebration, and now you kind of ruined it. Because <laughs> I just want to go to Fun Day now. <laughs> we need to start a petition to get Patrick Comerford in Orlando. Yeah. Maybe well, he'll be there with, like, Neil Scanlon's group, and they just won't make a big deal out of it. How can you not make a big deal out of that, though? Yeah. If he's dead a talk, he should just, like, crowd surf, and everyone can just <laughs> touch him for a second. Carry him around the whole convention. <laughs> You know, maybe we'll see a trailer for episode eight, but other than that, 
man, they got all the good stuff. Do you think Patrick Comerford, do you think he would be autographing pictures of Borgola? Probably, right? Yeah. If you're in the UK and you're going to Star Wars Fan Fun Day, please tell Patrick Comerford that we love him. He can. We want him to autograph our faces. <laughs> we'll get a tattoo of somebody's lightsaber, a 3PO head, and his signature. He's set for life now. He can do any, he has like any convention he wants to do. <laughs> Forever. Forever. Well, and whoever he's playing in episode eight and the Han Solo movie, it's going to be the coolest person in those movies. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty much a guarantee. Yep. He only plays the best characters. Mm-hmm. He knows all the scenes with G897 walking. <sighs> he could tell us all about them. Where did he go? Yeah. What kind of sounds did he make when he's walking? Did he ever walk upstairs? Did he have a hat? A bow tie? Just tell us about it. Where was G97 before he went to Maz's castle? Did he have a very tiny ship that he flew out on? Where are those books? (laughs) (laughs) They're they're wasting time. the redemption of evil i have seen balance restored to the force but order can turn to chaos as it did when i was born now with my loved ones and my loyal allies i face a new challenge unlike any before and i'm not sure at this time we can win star wars vector prime by ra salvatore the first novel of the new jedi order Okay, so Star Wars Aftermath, Empire's End. Third, final book, Chuck Wendig's Aftermath trilogy of books. The story is now wrapped up. I have a feeling we'll see some of the characters again in books, comics, whatever. But Gabe, you had a, you had a unique experience coming into this book, right? Yeah, because I had for, hadn't got around to reading the first two books. So before going into this one i figured i at least needed to know something <laughs> what was going on so i so i read the i started reading the first book i got through about half of that and ran out of time so i just went online and kind of got the the cliff notes version of the rest of the first book and second book before i jumped into the third book so i at least had an idea who the characters were and what had happened previously going into that what was your how was how was empire's end for you i go back and forth i think there's parts of the book that i really enjoyed and thought were really interesting and entertaining and then there were parts of the book that i think were probably issues people had with the other two books where there's just there's so many characters and there's kind of there's a lot going on that and at times it doesn't feel as star warsy as other things just because there's just so much going on especially comparing it to the callus book which Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed i have mixed feelings about it were there any with the some of the characters that are unique to this series like the main um core characters were there any that through the first book and what you gathered from the second one that jumped out at you well i like mr bones of course yeah (laughs) any (laughs) any excuse to have more battle droids it was cool to have uh, a little snap wexley i did like ray sloan a lot i Mm -hmm. thought the empire stuff was interesting to kind of read some star wars stories from that perspective this one for me I had a tougher time with because I felt like the whole first half of the book is building towards the big battle of Jakku at the end. And while reading it, while I still was enjoying it, 
at a certain at points, I was just like, just get to the Battle of Jakku. Yeah, I could see, especially since this was the third book, it was kind of like it didn't need any more, I guess, anticipation. It's like you already read two books trying to get to this point that, yeah, I could have jumped in with that much quicker. It was the the moment that all three of the books were leading towards and all the characters were leading towards and all their journeys. But I kind of felt like the first half of the book or the first maybe two-thirds of the book was kind of treading water a little bit. I was kind of like, let's let's get on with this. Let's go. Once that kind of started reading those parts, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get the whole first two-thirds of the book now, too. And it kind of made it all gel a little bit more. I almost wonder if some of it, too, is just it's been long enough since the second book. And if people did come in not reading the other two books, it gives you a little bit of time to get to know the characters before everything kind of the serious stuff starts to happen at the end. But it is, like, like I said, I think it's just, just there's so much going on in so many different characters. And then the movie characters mixed in, it's kind of, it's not, it's maybe inconsistent, like depending, and some of it may just be personal preference too. Like if there's certain characters you really like, those chapters you're going to enjoy more than the cap chapters with characters that maybe you didn't aren't as into when the first book came out and i started reading it I, there were times where i was like okay i don't know what the heck is going on here and it took me a long time to get into the rhythm but it's interesting because as the books went on especially in empire's end the interludes are kind of they're way more spaced out and the, when you do have an interlude most of the time it's about a movie character and Im- immediately you're just like oh okay this chapter is about lando i'm into that i love lando but I think some of that, I think maybe is the the issues I had is like I would get into the the Lando chapter and I would, and then I would want more of that story and less of the new character story. Maybe no, I think that's I think that's completely valid because <laughs> it is a little bit of a tease of like oh I want to know what's going on with these characters during this time frame and you get hints of it but you don't necessarily get a lot of detail. So even with whatever your opinion on the book is, which some people love it, some people are kind of lukewarm on it, there's some heavy stuff in this book. Yeah, there's definitely parts where it was stuff I didn't think of yeah. and stuff I didn't think was going to happen. And there's definitely a lot of meat to chew on after after finishing the book. Just a forewarning, if you haven't read the book yet, or if you're halfway through the book or something, or you just started it, or you got two pages left... We're going to get into spoilers here. We're going to be talking about some meat and potatoes. If you just want the gravy, yeah. it's too late. One of the biggest themes in this book is that Palpatine had some shady secrets. Palpatine had a plan B. I think that was potentially, I think, my favorite kind of revelation in the book. In the first book, Aftermath, this um, Palpatine's advisor guy, Yup Tashu, well, I love I love his name. He he could be one of the the Emperor's buddies from Return of the Jedi. Is saying that Palpatine believed that the whole dark side thing and all the powers came from somewhere out in the unknown regions, which is like the area outside known space in Star Wars. And Palpatine set up like laboratories and like radar stations that were all over the galaxy seeking out the source of the dark side. And Palpatine sent people out looking for this source of the dark side, and they all, like, got lost. Like, none of these people ever returned. Well, just trying to figure out even how to get out of their galaxy. 
to to find this stuff since you know for whatever reason the star wars galaxy at the outer reaches is just too dangerous for ships to fly through return of the jedi is coming and palpatine begins to sense that like the end is near so the emperor had a whole thing where if he's to die he wants yeah the whole empire the the whole imperial army all of it to go down with him but he selected like a few people like led by Gallius Rax to go out beyond the galaxy to start over again. But then Palpatine started getting the signal from the area that only that he was the only person who could hear it. Vader couldn't hear it. And Palpatine got obsessed with the idea that something was calling to him from out in the beyond galaxy. Yes. And he wanted to go out there to find it, but he returned the Jedi happened before he could do it. Right, that's true. That was part of it too. So then you got these people, the acolytes of beyond, they're having dreams and visions of the Sith. Like all of this, Palpatine dabbling in this ancient evil beyond the galaxy, starting the, force, the First Order beyond the galaxy, and getting a signal. I mean, there's only one thing, you know, everybody's going to start booing, but there's only one thing that this all sounds like, right? What? Snoke! Oh, that Snoke is the, the signal? Snoke is from beyond the galaxy. He's from the unknown regions. Like we were saying before, if Luke went off looking for the beginnings of the the first Jedi Temple, was Palpatine then hearing something from the roots of the Sith? And again, you know, you look at the old lightsaber that Kylo Ren has. Like the old dented up mask, Sith mask that Kylo Ren wears. And how they're not really Sith. I mean, they could be, Snoke could be this ancient thing from beyond. That's a good point. I didn't actually even think about that. It's just the pure, a pure dark side being from beyond the galaxy. That would predate everybody. Because that was kind of the thing by the end of the book I was trying to figure out where they were going to. Because, you know, basically you find out Gallius Rex dies and doesn't make it. But that Admiral Sloan goes with them. And Hux and, well, young Hux and old Hux and basically the first of the First Order kids go out there. So it's kind of, I don't know, I was trying to figure out what they're going to do with Sloan since she kind of is in a way in charge of the First Order at that point. Mm-hmm. And then by Force Awakens, we don't hear anything about her. So it gets into that weird thing where in the old days you would think, well, this is just a book character. But now that everything's you know more intertwined, I wasn't sure what to make of that. If Is she going to come back? Or are they just going to forget about her? <laughs> what if episode eight? Like, I don't know. I didn't know how to take that. You know, did you pick up on the part two where they're talking about um, how all these kids that eventually – that uh, Hux is controlling, and they they talk about one a young girl with really short hair that's super duper savage. Yeah, that's I, probably Phasma. Yeah, when I read that, I was thinking Phasma. Yeah, I I caught that too. That it's like okay, I'm pretty sure that that's going to be Phasma. So, the villagers kill them all. On my command. Five. And I did like how they, I'm trying to remember how they worded it in the book, but basically it was like Palpatine's first order 
for them was to go out to the outer regions. And yeah. that's kind of where the name of the First Order then is potentially from because it's like this is step one of kind of the resurgence of the Empire. I, I was to say, which makes me wonder in Episode 8 if, you know, they won't be called the First Order anymore or they'll be kind of a new thing now that it's kind of everything's escalated, especially after them, you know, using the Star Killer to take out the Senate. It could be the next phase of the big plan, whatever's in Episode 8. Well, and also there's the line in Empire's End where they talk about one of the only people to come into the known Star Wars galaxy from the unknown regions is Thrawn. What? And then in the the bit from the book that came out this last week from the Thrawn book coming out next month, Thrawn says to Palpatine that he knows full well that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader. What? Yeah, because, it, well, it'll be interesting to see if Thrawn has some force-like intuition, or it's just a matter of him being like master detective that he just figures out. Obviously, Anakin is Darth Vader. Well, and if Thrawn is from the Unknown Regions, was Thrawn somebody who kind of filled Palpatine in on, hey, there's this whole other galaxy out there that you don't even know about, and you think you're evil. There's You're nothing like some of the bad dudes out there. Yeah, possibly. Or was Thrawn sent by Snoke to gather information about this galaxy? And that's kind of why Thrawn is studying people so much, studying the rebels, studying the Empire, kind of working on his own. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true. They definitely uh, got me interested about the Thrawn book. (laughs) (laughs) They got me sucked in here. I want to know. I want to know what's going on. So the next crazy thing, there's an interlude in there about the Church of the Force. Yes. And kind of the roots of eventually what we see on Jakku with like Lor Santeca and stuff. And so there there's these people like they're they're in a cave on what's the name of the planet? Christophersis? The Chris Christophersis planet? Yeah. Chris Christopherson? Yeah. Well I woke up Sunday morning. With no way to hold my head, didn't hurt. Well, basically at the end, they're trying to save what other kyber crystals are left in the galaxy. At the very end of the interlude, I thought it was really interesting that they're talking about how there are so few kyber crystals left in the galaxy. And the main character says that this is the legacy of Galen Erso, Orson Krennic, Tarkin, and Palpatine. Which I thought was fascinating because it's kind of like, well, what does history, how does history remember Galen Erso? That was actually one of the parts in the book, I think, that bugged me. Oh. Is that it didn't make sense why they would mention those people because I feel like if, if anything that happened in uh, Rogue One was that basically Galen Erso and Krennic were kind of erased <laughs> from existence and basically erased from, I would think, history with Tarkin blowing up everything on Scarif that I thought it was odd that people would even know who Galen Erso and director Krennic were. Like, I would think that the empire would have just erased any knowledge of them. The only thing I can think of is there would be someone in the rebel Alliance 
who could tell you about Jyn Erso's speech. And when she talked to the Alliance about her father, about Krennic, and the, her Jin's whole mission, if, that, if her speech at that moment kind of went down in history, that would be the only way I could think of someone knowing about that. But then Galen still looked at as a member of the Empire. That was just one thing reading the book. That, that part, I kind of it just felt out of place. Like, oh, they're just bringing up Rogue One because it just came out. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was just like one line of of name dropping, you know, it wasn't like there wasn't any story to go with it. I have a question for you with the pirate chapter, because this was just something, another weird thing, because this character was in the other books, right? In the yeah, the pirate interlude, it's on page what three hundred seventeen or something in the book, something like that. Yeah, three seventy, I think. Three because okay. right is that the whole um, the superstar destroyer that got taken over by pirates? Wasn't you know, that was that in the other books? You know what I believe, and that that's kind of the thing with the aftermath books. There are so many interludes where it's real easy to get lost and to not remember the details of what happened in an interlude. In the previous book? They almost should just put the interludes in their own book. I would be into that. Like, if someone made an Aftermath book special edition where they edited it all together, you know? So, the um, the Faker Boba Fett, that could be its own little mini book. What the? From Kenner's Star Wars collection comes the Stormtrooper, the Sand People, and all 20 action figures, including new Hammerhead, Snaggletooth, and more, each sold separately. And now, Boba Fett, Star Wars villain with his laser rifle. Boba Fett is not yet available in stores, but you can get him free with four proofs of purchase from any Star Wars action figures. Details on specially marked packs at participating stores. Offer ends May 31st. Star Wars action figures sold separately from Kenner. So another standout chapter interlude was uh, the Chewbacca chapter on Kashyyyk. Yes, because now his son is official. Lumpy. Lumpy. But they don't call him Lumpy, they call him Waru. Yeah, Lumpararoo. Yeah, but I was waiting. I was kind of, I was always kind of bummed because I was waiting for another chapter later where it was like they are setting up like, oh, his name's Lumparu, Lumpararu, but then they call him Waru. But I thought maybe later there'd be a chapter where like Han shows up and calls him Lumpy. Oh, and then everyone would be like, oh, he's Lumpy. But maybe that's for <laughs> another book. Now, when I read that chapter, when they were talking about Lumpy swinging from the trees, all I could imagine in my head was Lumpy from the holiday special. Yeah, well, and that's what I was thinking. It's like at this point, you can't have Chewie's family not be his family from the holiday special. It's been it's been forty years of holiday special. Forty beautiful years. Yeah. So at least you know, technically, Lumpy is part of his name, and he exists now. Uh, it was sad that his mom is dead, according to the book, right? Yeah, Mala. 
I think Grandpa Itchy is most definitely gone too. Itchy is probably dead too, but yeah, at least uh, Chewy Son is alive. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll show up in episode eight. Yeah, I hope again he looks exactly like he did in the holiday special. Yeah. And he he's still got that toy Bantha. I mean, I guess his son could be in the Han Solo movie though. Oh, most definitely. So that would like, cause this is the thing with like these books drive me crazy. It's like, if they're going to go all this trouble to make Chewie's son for real in the canon now, if he doesn't show up in a, in a movie, it's just a tease. It's just a cruel tease. And Jefferson Starship should show up. They would probably do it for free. <laughs> they would probably pay Lucasfilm to be in the movie. So there's no reason not to. So Gabe, what did you think of the Lando chapter? So the Lando chapter got me, got the wheels turning in my head, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but the fact that they basically are talking about the casino part of Bespin just made me think about all the supposedly casino planet stuff from episode eight. And I kind of feel like at this point, if they're going to go to a casino place and they're bringing up a casino place in the book, maybe that's foreshadowing the land. If, if Lando or anything is in episode eight, maybe they do go back to Bespin and that's what the casino stuff was. Since they're basically setting up that Lando does end up back on Bespin and tries to, you know, get back to the old days of being a responsible leader and taking care of the of Bespin in cloud city. I don't know what you think. I just liked it because it, it, it reminded me of remind me of the Lando comic with Lando and Lobot's relationship, where even though Lobot is Robot Man now, he's still goofing around a little bit with Lando. Yeah, it's true. That part was that was a good good part. Lando trying to think of a uh, a baby gift for little Ben Solo, and he's yeah. talking to get him a cape and mustache so he can look like Uncle Lando. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff was gold. Come on, handle, buddy, don't let me down. Well, and that's, I think, where the some of those things with the book were. It's like, those chapters were so great, and it was nice to see those characters again. And it was just, it was a tease that there was so little of that and so much of the new the new people. And I know, you know, we got to have some new stuff. But this time frame after Return of the Jedi, with Force Awakens kind of starting, you know, 30 years in the future, I want to kind of know what happened in those 30 years in this book, at least as far as the movie characters go was more of a tease than actually getting like kind of satisfying information. And that's probably bring us to like one of the big problems that exist with the aftermath books, which I really enjoy these aftermath books. But while characters like Nora Wexley and Ray Sloan, like we're talking about where they're really great characters, it's almost like, well, just give me a book about just them. Because when you put these interlude chapters in there, it's hard for them to compete with these yeah. characters that we already know and have loved for decades. And I got really, you know, I would love to see Nora Wexley and what she does after this series in another book one day. But keeping your interest is tough in these books. There can be sometimes, at least I found. Yeah, I think it's because it is kind of all over the place. Like the, the pregnant Leia and Han stuff was really cool to read about. But that was just such a tease, too. Of just like, oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, I want to know more about this. Where, yeah, I think like you're saying, if the new characters were in their own book and then the movie characters were kind of in their own book, there had been room for for everybody to kind of uh, 
get a full story and not just, I guess, I guess the aftermath books are, it's like a buffet yeah. <laughs> of, of star Wars and you get to taste a lot of different things, but sometimes you just want to eat a Lando dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Now, speaking of characters that we know and love, there's the world-famous Jar Jar interlude. I was just going to say that that interlude was really good. It could be my favorite part of the whole book. All When there was all the talk online, you know, hey, in this new Star Wars book, it's a prequel hater dream because Jar Jar finally gets what he deserves. I was heated up. I was ready to go. Yeah, because I didn't take it that way at all. No. I thought it was a perfect and sweet send-off to Jar Jar that looked at him very realistically from a story standpoint and I think addressed how a lot of the fans look at Jar Jar, where he was outcast. He he was alone, but he had the perfect job where he was entertaining orphans on Naboo. He like he's a really old Gungan with like the Captain Tarples things coming out of his chin, you know. But he's like just making people laugh, just making kids laugh. And doesn't Jar Jar have like a line in there where he's like, the kids like me, but the adults not so much or something like that? Yeah. Where it's like, well, you're talking about the movies there and the fans. Or not all the fans, but most of the fans. I didn't get how people read that as mean-spirited. Well, I think especially, too, that they kind of team up where they introduce the little orphan kid who's, he's disfigured from, you know, from a bomb and he's an orphan and like even the other orphans don't want to be his friend and he knows no one's ever going to adopt him. And basically Jar Jar and him become friends because Jar Jar doesn't care that uh, he's disfigured or whatever. He just thinks he's a sweet kid that laughs at his jokes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it was a good representation where, you know, Jar Jar is who he is and he stayed true to himself, even though he kind of brings up the point that he didn't, People think he basically the stuff with the Senate were basically, you know, they he got tricked into giving the chancellor emergency powers. They kind of mentioned mm-hmm. that, that people don't trust him because of that. But he's not sure why, because he didn't he wasn't malicious about anything. He's just, you know, he is who he is. I'm happy at least that I feel like since the book has come out, some of that Jar Jar talk has died down because I hope people actually maybe actually read the chapter and saw what the meaning of that chapter and kind of what its real spirit was and toned down some of the, um, some of the hate a little bit. Yeah. Cause it was just, it was a really sweet end to, and not even an end. Cause honestly I would read a whole book about Jar Jar and his little friend. Oh yeah, we would on, absolutely on, yeah. on adventures, you know, the two little outcasts, 4,000 page book, nine parts. Yeah. Sign me up. So, Jason, what did you think about... So, we're back on Jakku. How did you feel about there being another hut on Jakku? Fine. You're okay with that? Yeah, and that was kind of freaky, all the hut stuff with the slaves. Yeah, that and stuff was neat. I'm fine with their hut being on Jakku, because I feel like there's huts all over the place. If it's a dry, deserty, dirty planet, then the huts can set up a crime ring there. 
because they can kind of own it. They can own, because nobody wants to go there, so the huts will be like, I'll own that, and I can base all my freaky-deaky crime stuff out of this place. Yeah, I did like that it was like, it was almost like the Mad Max job of the Mad Max hut with her little slave people, and uh, they basically had, like, Mad Max cars yeah. <laughs> driving around the desert. From the desert sun, every step that you take could be a final one. So, Gabe, would you, if someone asked you, should I read the Aftermath books, what would you say? All three of them? Yes. Because I don't think you can read just one. <laughs> no, like, I, if someone asked me if they should read the third one, I would ask them if they read the other two. Man, I don't know. I think I think it would depend on the person, because there's, there's a lot of cool stuff there, but it's like, you have to be willing, I guess, to put in the time and, and willing to kind of filter through stuff i would say yes but i would say just plan on reading all three together because i think they would work really well reading the first one the second one the third one and now the waiting months in between and i feel like there i feel like there is things that happen in these books that will pay off in either future tv shows or future films it just seems like it so i feel like some of the things being introduced in these books will give you a bit of a background on what's to come. And for that reason, I would say read them. Thinking about it more, too, I got to say, there was enough stuff, enough little things that were crazy enough and exciting enough to make it worth it. Like, I think I, I don't know how many times I kept texting you about Admiral Ackbar putting lotion on in the first book. <laughs> Like, just mm-hmm. that chapter enough was worth reading uh, the first book and the Jar Jar chapter in this one, plus some of the other stuff, the Palpatine contingency plan stuff that it's 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 probably worth your time if you have the time. Just you have to be prepared to put in the time because, yeah, these probably could have been two books maybe instead of stretched out to three, but there's there's good stuff in there. Jedi from the desert fortress of Jabba the Hutt to the Death Star of the Galactic Empire to the forest city of the Ewoks this is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga remember the force rejoice in the triumph return of the Jedi rated PG now playing at a theater in your galaxy so Gabe I put out on Twitter and a bunch of our other social media stuff for questions, listener questions. And we, we got some really good ones. Let's go through them real quick. Okay. So from our buddy Dave Hackerson, he writes, do kids on Tatooine collect pod racer trading cards? I would hope so. And I would hope they're hologram trading cards. And I would hope when you get a pack, it's a lot of Ben Quadraneros. I would think so. Everyone's like, oh, man, I already got 10 Quadraneros. <laughs> I'll trade you Rats Tyrell for 15 of your Ben Quadraneros. Yeah. No, but I'll trade you Dead Bolt. <laughs> Odie Mandrell. <laughs> Next one is from uh, Brandon, and he writes, this is really interesting. He writes, what do they call X-Wings in universe? There's no X-shape in A-Bush, Arbush, or Arbesh, or whatever the heck it's called. They do call them X-Wings, though, don't they? Do they? 
I swear they say X-Wing in the movie. They say X-Wing in the book. I swear it's fighters. Man, get some homework to do now. <laughs> to go I, figure out. I swear they say X-Wing in one of the movies. I swear it's just like all pilots to your fighters. I mean, they do call them Y-Wings in the show, don't they? Didn't they just, don't they call them that? Man. <laughs> <sighs> Too bad we've never seen this, these films before. <laughs> That make you go, hmm. Jason, have you heard about Star Wars? <laughs> no, but I heard it's really good. Yeah. This guy at the bus stop told me I should watch it. There's a guy with a uh, a lightsaber and a 3PO head tattoo. <laughs> at the grocery store. So it must be something. Yeah. <laughs> so Emily writes, inspired by my current read, what's your favorite book in the Aftermath trilogy? Well, for me... I really enjoyed Life Debt, the second book. I think that was part of why going into Empire's End, I was having a little bit of cold feet in the beginning just because really Life Debt, the second book, I, I couldn't put it down. I was really into it. And I like we were talking about earlier, Life Debt to me, because Han was integrated with the new characters, it flowed better, in my opinion. That's just me, though. But I really liked Life Debt. So, so for me, unfortunately... Life Debt was the one that I didn't read any of it at all, <laughs> for real. So I don't know, but man, the first book just for the the ch- Akbar putting lotion on just messed me up, and <laughs> I could I could see myself going back and just reading that chapter again. So I have to say the first one. Our, our next one is from Ash Williamson, and th- this is a really deep one, Gabe. If Bore Gullet could gullet, how many gullets could he bore? One thousand one hundred and thirty-eight. <laughs> This is from our buddy Ross. What Star Wars character would you listen to a podcast by? So I think I have two. Oh. So one would be the Podracer announcer guys. I think their their podcast would be great because they could do it themselves. (laughs) And then I think the other one would be the Panaka Rick Oli podcast. (laughs) Because it would just be Rick saying, the sun rises in the east. And then Panaka would be like, the sun gives you cancer. <laughs> this is our podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm talking just, into a microphone. I just pushed record. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Yeah. What about you, Jason? Saw Guerrero. Oh. You never know what you'd get. It'd be like resistance radio. <laughs> is it really you listening out there? I'm going to tell you the truth. And probably Watto. (laughs) Just about trading on Tatooine. He would probably have a podcast about pod racing. Um, Oh, he's swindling me. (laughs) Bet on Sebulba. (laughs) Just just all about Sebulba. Like it's his fan (laughs) podcast about Sebulba. About how awesome Sebulba is. The Watto on Sebulba podcast. (laughs) Did you see his race? He won. I heard Sebulba's going to be racing on Manister next week. Uh, bet heavily on Sebulba. <laughs> I know I am. Leave us a review on iTunes, eh? <laughs> Unless you're a deadbeat. If I could put 2-1-B in there, I think he would have a really good podcast. Just like it, a medical, it, yeah, it'd be, a medical it, podcast? No, it'd just be like inspirational. It'd be called Take Care, Sir. <laughs> and it'd just be, be careful when you cross the street. Could be very dangerous. Cars go very fast. Look both ways. Make sure you eat B vitamins. They're good for energy. 
you know, just, and maybe that's all it would be, just like a 10-second long podcast. Here's your daily tip from 2-1-B. I would listen to that. <laughs> Sir, it will take quite a while to evacuate the t 47 <laughs> So we got a bunch of other questions, and we're going to save a bunch more for coming weeks, because um, we got some really good ones. So thank you, everybody that wrote, and we'll, we'll get to more in another episode. So, Gabe, we have one new iTunes review. Great. And this one is from Ricky Mokel. And Ricky writes, my favorite Star Wars podcast. Been a fan a long time, but the Smiths stopped me if you've heard this one before a bit on the latest episode really got me. <laughs> also, George Lucas, LOL. Of all 30 Star Wars podcasts and YouTube channels I subscribe to, 30. Blast Points is the one I look forward to the most because you guys make me actually laugh out loud. In a community that tends to skew either too lowbrow or too highbrow sometimes, I feel like you guys have a nice midbrow I want to get down with. <laughs> right in the unibrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Aaron Reinhardt from Silver Springs, Maryland. Not the horrible comedian Ricky Mokel name I use to leave bad reviews. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, thank yeah, you, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Hi, J.J. Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode Seven, thank you. Yeah, so you should leave us a review on iTunes after you're done listening to this episode. Head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, write something awesome, read it on an upcoming show. We'll read it. We will read it. Or you, <laughs> you can read have, it. You can read it if you want, but you don't have to. You don't, yeah. And these... Last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. So don't forget to check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Mm -hmm. I think that's it, right? I think so. For now, until they come up with something new. Blimp, the side of blimps. Maybe we'll get into that. I don't know. Skywriting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wanna, if you want to send us a review in skywriting. We're into that. We, that we'll read that on the air. Just let me, let me know what time I got to go look up at the sky. We can make that happen. But with that, yeah, we'll see you next week with uh, a holiday-themed show, potentially. <laughs> Gather the whole family around. Maybe maybe have a parade. <laughs> We're dropping hints here. Dropping hints. Yep. It's going to be a good one, though. Um, so tune in for that. And yeah, on behalf of episode 63 here at Blast Points, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks. We'll see you soon. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
Now the podcast is over. May the force be with all of you.